Since our coverage of the book of Exodus, it's weighed on me that our curriculum didn't cover those chapters of Exodus that dealt with animal sacrifice, the law of Moses, and especially the tabernacle in the wilderness. I knew that at some point I wanted to deal with the subject in a special episode. Well, last week, I was privileged to sit down with LDS content producer Mike Madsen, who has for a number of years been involved in teaching a temple preparation class for members of his stake, but in addition, he teaches it by recommendation to others outside of his stake who are preparing for the first time to enter the temple. It may not surprise you to hear that the main focus of that class is to help students understand what was going on in the ancient tabernacle and why God thought it so important that his people be a temple-going people. In addition, Mike has an extended lesson related to the tabernacle, which he's been developing and teaching for years about the Exodus itself. I was fortunate enough to get him to come into the studio and share his insights here. So without further ado, I'm Mark Holt, and what follows is a Gospel Doctrine special episode. Thank you for joining us. This is our special episode number three, The Exodus, The Tabernacle, and The Plan of Salvation. Our guest tonight is Michael Madsen. He's a senior content developer and project manager for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, although I should mention he's not here in any official capacity. But uh, Mike, we're glad to have you. And would you like to say anything else about what you've worked on and what kind of things you've you've done in the past and what, where you've taken this lesson, what where you've taught it, and... Uh, what's the history of what you're going to present tonight? Thanks, Mark. It's really good to be here with you, first of all. And, you know, I have a, a really fun job. I started out as a teaching seminary in small towns in Utah. I taught institute as well. And I uh, switched jobs about 15 years ago to work at the church office building, creating content and products. And I've done everything from the nursery manual, you know, that's just a, a fun little manual to duty to God and personal progress and uh, creating curriculum, websites, come follow me. And my latest, uh, my latest joy are, are what are called face-to-face events, which are a, a unique way of, of trying to get our wonderful church leaders in front of um, youth and young single adults and, and take, taking on real issues. I, I think many of our audience will be familiar with them and, and they're well beloved with membership of the church. And uh, so t- talk to us a little bit about what you'll be presenting tonight. Well, thanks. Listen, I, uh, I'm excited about this topic. I love the Old Testament. I love the tabernacle. And uh, a while ago, when I was younger teaching seminary, I started to notice that this beautiful story of the Exodus was repeated throughout uh, not just in the Old Testament, but in, but, but in many other places throughout history and Scripture. And um, I loved studying it, and it's a, it's a motif, it's a theme. And uh, I'll share tonight some things about uh, how it relates to the plan of salvation and also how it relates to the tabernacle and modern-day temple worship. So I, I generally share what I'm going to share tonight uh, to people who are getting ready to go to the temple for the first time. And So I think I should mention at this point that... Uh... You have taught temple prep, so you know exactly what's appropriate to share. And so anybody who hears anything, they should not worry that... Well, uh, well yeah, it's still... Uh, I, I'm not going to... I won't share anything tonight that I can't... Exactly, that's what I'm yeah, trying to get across. I can't show in the scriptures or in, in, in approved curriculum. I think that's really important to be able to, to do. And, and we're going to talk a lot about symbols tonight. And symbols are great because they could mean so many different things to so many different people. So... I'll be representing what I have learned from my study of the scriptures and the tabernacle and the plan of salvation. And uh, it's kind of like a ring. You know, I have, I'm wearing a, a wonderful ring. It symbolizes a number of things to me. And it might be, you know, symbolize something different to someone else. It's a precious metal. My marriage and my wife are precious to me. It's round. It's circular. It, it represents eternity to, me, eternity to me. And so it's like that with symbols and i believe the heavenly father given us given us symbols to keep teaching us and i think if we ever think well i i understand everything about blank i think that's when we stop learning so i'll be sharing my thoughts tonight on these things and i hope they're helpful for your learners wonderful jump right in okay so what uh i would like to do is talk about the exodus in fairly general terms uh, it's an incredible story. It's a beautiful story. And we know, I think most people know the story, which is really good. 
I I love the uh, every now and then Hollywood I think gets it right on some of the things that they do, and I love the Prince of Egypt. You know that the cartoon. The, yes. Yeah. And I think the music in that uh, in that that movie is inspired, and I love the opening song. It has the children of Israel in Egypt, and they're praying. It's a prayer in yes. the song. They're asking God for several things. One, they want to be delivered. Another, they want to be remembered. And the third is they want to be uh, given the promised land, the land that God had promised them, which was Israel today. And um, and so they're praying for this. They've been there for 400 years in slavery, and that's what that's what their plea is. That's what their prayer is. And that's where the Exodus story begins. And so they're in bondage. They're in they're in captivity, and their life is not that great. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to go through all the details of the story, but along comes this great character of Moses, and Hollywood sometimes calls him the deliverer, and I think that's maybe not that true um, because they were delivered by the power of God and and His Son. But you have Moses come on the scene in their captivity, and as you know, he begins to try and get Israel free, and. Uh, and there's a number of plagues that are that are given, and it's kind of fun if you go research these plagues. The, the Egyptians had over 300 gods, and uh, and if you look at what the plagues specifically were, I really believe that 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 you know Moses and Heavenly Father was taking on some of the gods of the day to, mm-hmm. to try and say, you know, this specific is, plagues targeted to discredit yes. certain gods in the Egyptian pantheon. Well, sure. Well, the the, the Nile was the, the you know was yeah. a god, and and it turned to blood and. Frogs were a god, and they were, you know, hopping all over. And uh, the sun, Ra, their sun, the sun god, you know, one of their greatest. Uh, it was, it caused it to be dark in uh, in Egypt, but light in Goshen, where the Israelites were. And and um, you know, even the Pharaoh himself was a god. And um, but we all know that the last plague that came upon Egypt was this incredible moment when the destroying angel came. And passed over the Israelites' homes if they had done, you know, certain things. And when you hear the story for the first time, I can only imagine if you're not a Christian or not familiar with it, it sounds a little strange. You know that the Israelites, you know, would the whole Passover experience where they would kill the lamb and they would put the blood of the lamb on on their door, and somehow that was going to protect them from uh, uh, from the death of their firstborn. But I think it's fascinating that. Um, that through this incredible symbol, and if you look at the blood, is is an interesting symbol in, the, in in the scriptures. It's a symbol of both death as well as life. And um, the if you look at the the act of putting this blood on the door, some of the things it teaches me is it's through the power of the blood of the lamb that we are going to be we can overcome death, and it's through the power of the blood of the lamb that we can be granted new life. And uh, and that's a theme that's throughout the scriptures, and it's kind of it's kind of cool. But but anyway, it, this story um, kind of climaxes there in Egypt with this with this with this moment, and Pharaoh finally decides at that point that uh, he's going to let Israel go and be free from bondage, and so um, they get delivered by you know by this by our heavenly Father by His Son, and they begin this this journey. And they begin to travel. And, you know, to get to their promised land, they've got to go first through a body of water. And it's the Red Sea. And, and um, uh, you know, Pharaoh waits late. He, he, he makes it about a day <laughs> as far as yeah, you can go. Forgiving them, letting yeah. them go. Yeah, and he's mad. And he sends, you know, one of the greatest armies of that day, probably the greatest army of the day, after the Israelites, and it was going to be just a slaughter. And and this is when the miracles continue. And this great symbol, this beautiful symbol, this pillar of fire, comes, you know, down and protects the Israelites from the army. And I think that's the first time we see this pillar of fire in this story. And, and I love the pillar of fire. It, it, it symbolizes so many things to me. And in this moment, it was protecting them from, from evil. And we all know that Moses then turns and parts the, the Red Sea, and the children of Israel pass through on dry ground. But what happens next, I think, is really important, and I think a great symbol. And that is, at some point, the pillar of fire leaves, and the, and the army of Israel comes through, and uh, they eventually get buried. The might of Israel, the, the might of Egypt, gets, gets buried in this, 
the returning the, waters. Yeah, and the returning waters in this ocean. And we'll come back to that a little bit later, but I, but I think it's a really interesting symbol that the might of Egypt, the, eight, the, the strength of Egypt, because Egypt's a great symbol of the world. It gets buried in this water, and Israel is on the other side, and uh, they are now continually on their journey. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they, they go and they, they receive their law. They have some pretty incredible experiences, but eventually they find themselves, uh, you know, on, on the other side of the Jordan River looking down and are getting ready to go and possess the promised land. And they, there's the, the 12 spies story. You, you know, you yes. remember with that story? And, and the 12 spies go down and, and uh, uh, one from each tribe, they come back. Ten of them are like, oh, no. You know, the, they're too big. We yeah. can't, we can't conquer them. What are we doing here? Yeah, and and, and Ephraim and Manasseh, you know, you know, what do you mean? We, we can take them. Yeah, you know, do we remember the frogs and lice and the and, and the pillar of fire? You know, we we can do this. And it was a realization that Israel was not ready to receive their blessing of the promised land. And then they go on this this journey, this this uh, wandering journey. I think it's fascinating um, that the journey lasted for 40 years. I'm not hugely into Jewish numerology, but there's a few numbers that I think are really important. The number three is important. Number eight, uh, we'll talk about tonight, um, is really important. Number seven. But the number 40 symbolizes uh, sanctification through tribulation. Meaning, you know, you're going it's gonna, to, it's not going to be very fun. 40 is not a good experience. But on the other end of it, we're sanctified. You know, I, well, you know, Say more about that. So well, where have you seen it appear? Well, what are some of the other 40s you know I of? I can think right now that Noah is waiting for... He's, he's, been, uh, he's been inspired to build this ark, and then it rains for 40 days and Perfect. 40 nights. Yeah, and, and, and so it's beautiful. And everyone's summer, right? dead by the sure. end of that. The whole world is buried in water. Yeah, so you have, so you have 40. You also have water, you know, a great symbol. But here you have the earth sanctified. It was sanctification through tribulation. And it was a very significant, obviously, tribulation. The other one that occurs to me is Christ fasting for 40 days in the wilderness sure. before he begins his ministry. Sure. You, you have fasting is the perfect, you know, realization of number 40. It's sanctification through tribulation. And 40 days of fasting would certainly bring about that. So speaking of that now, I guess a third one occurred to me, which is Elijah traveling to the same mountain, which is uh, Mount Horeb, and he it takes him 40 days to get right. there. And an angel feeds him along the way. Right, which is another type. It's, a, it's another exodus, by the way, and it's, and it's a type. And, and, and there are other 40s, and we don't go into too many more, but uh, Christ was at the temple 40 days after his birth. That's when he was presented at the temple. Okay. After a woman's purification process was, you know, was completed. And, and certainly when a woman gives birth, Taking a child, you know, I mean, herself, going through the valley of the shadow of death to bring a, a new life into this world. Uh, an incredible experience that is. And so, and so, and, and actually, the church has a really cool, the LDS church has a really cool 40 in its history. And I'm not sure. No, but, I can't think of what it is. Well, it's so cool because um, the Salt Lake Temple is oh, built. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is built. Uh, the movie, a- The Mountain of the Lord. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if, with an April 6th on one end. April 6th is a very important day to have yeah. Father. And April 6th on one end, 40 years. April 6th on the other end. To the day. Yeah, to the day. And a- April is it, it's spring. It's new. It's beginning. It's new life. And so here we have this beautiful mountain of the Lord, the house of the Lord built here, built here in the tops of the mountains. And it's 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 giving us this 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 endowment of power, and so the number forty is kind of cool. It, it, in fact, uh, I think it's called ordinal perfection. Four hundred means a lot of forty. Mm-hmm. And you know, our story tonight began with a group of people who had been here for four hundred years. Oh, right. That's a lot of forty, right? It's, yes. It's it's and so, and so they they go on this journey for forty years, but Heavenly Father doesn't leave them without help. And, you know, can you remember some of the things, I mean, what, what are some of the things that he did? And your listeners, you, in the, think about, you mean during the Exodus? Yeah, during the Exodus. I mean, they're on the Sinai Peninsula. The first it thing that happens extreme. is they start complaining because they have no water. Which is almost always, <laughs> you know, with all these Exodus stories about the scriptures, there's always people that are complaining. And there's yeah. always lessons to be learned. So, so he helps provide them with water and he helps provide them with food. I mean, um, manna, for example, mm-hmm. right? Manna literally means, what is it? Yeah. They, they walked out of their tent, they looked down, 
hey, hey, John, what is, what is it? You know, I don't know, you know, what, what is, I, I don't know if that's what happened, but it literally means what is it? They, they'd never seen it before. And it was their bread from heaven that, 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 that came. And obviously when the Savior is here, um, once again, this is Heavenly Father and His Son delivering them continually throughout the Spirit and sustaining them. This bread was going to sustain them every single day. It becomes a great symbol, the bread of life, you know, the, the staff of life. It, it's, it, it's, it's teaching us that we need the Savior every single day to, to be sustained. But he gave them these things physically so they could survive in this, on the Sinai Peninsula. And the, other, the, the, the pillar of fire didn't really go away. It, it, it actually led them and, and guided their camp. It took them to the more fertile parts of the wilderness. If you think about a desert, a desert is, is extreme, right? It, it can be bitterly cold at night, and it can be really hot during the day. And we sing a beautiful song, uh, Redeemer of Israel, you know, and it, and it talks about this. Our shadow yeah. by day and our pillar by night. Absolutely. I, mean, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever been out on a hot day working in the yard and a cloud comes, you know, over, of and, course, yeah. yeah. And you, you, you kind of look to heaven and, and say, oh, thank you, you know, because that feels so good. Well, well, I'm fair-skinned, so I'm always thanking yeah. for clouds. It doesn't ha- I don't have to be working outside. And so you have this beautiful physical object that's symbolic of so many things. And this is pillar of fire. It gives them warmth at night. It gives them uh, uh, protection. The, the, the cloud gives them protection from the sun during the day. And it lights their way and guides them throughout the wilderness. Now I grew up in Provo, at the you know the foot of the Provo Temple, and and I watched other temples be built that I kind of thought were you know fairly majestic and and maybe a little more pretty. And this is really bad on my part, but I eventually learned what the Provo Temple, what the symbolism behind its structure was. And if you know, if you drive by at night, you see this big pillar, right? And and if you go by the day, you know the most prominent feature, the the you know the pillar's not as uh, is readily seen, but you have these this cloud, and so it, that's what it is. It's symbolic of the pillar of fire and the cloud. And whenever the pillar of fire was in the camp of the Israelites, it meant Jehovah is with us. Mm-hmm. So that that literally means. I mean, it, it's it's a physical symbol that means God is with us. And now when I drive by the Roman temple, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. God, now God you is, like it. Yeah, God is here. God is with us. And so it's really, really pretty neat. So he was helping them throughout this journey. He had the pillar of fire. He had manna. He helped them find water. He helped them get food. But the, the, the main purpose, the main purpose from what I understand of this wandering was to get sanctified. Back to the number 40. They had to get worthy to enter into the promised land. Essentially, they had to kill off all of Egypt inside of them. A whole generation is gone. Yeah, they can't be the people that would see the evidence that the 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 Canaanites are powerful and shrink away from the task anymore. They have to be a new people. Absolutely, and the promised land is is, is it's it's kind of reward, and and they had to get sanctified and able and able to do it. So at the end of this experience, they go and 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 um, they've had their their portable tabernacle, their temple. Um, they've had some fairly ex- incredible experiences. Uh, and, and in fact, Moses at this point, he's a righteous individual, you know, and, and, but he was not allowed to take them across the Jordan River mm-hmm. into the promised land. He gave it over to someone else. And I believe there's a, it's very significant. I don't know if you remember who he gave it over to. It was Joshua, which is a very interesting individual and a very interesting name. And, um, and, and the scriptures talk about something like, you know, he was not allowed to do it because of a mistake he's been. I'm not so sure. You know, I mean, this is an individual who's about to be translated. He's been in the presence of God in the, in the Holy of Holies so much that his face is actually, the scriptures say it's shone. It was shiny. And he, he was kind of scary to people. He had to wear a veil over his face. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a fairly uh, worthy individual, but he, he, he's not allowed. And I think there's a real, and we'll come back to that later, but, but I think there's a real reason why he gave it over to Joshua to take the children of Israel into the promised land. But that's the story of the Exodus, and it's a very, uh, maybe a fairly quick version of it. But what's so neat about this is it's a motif. A motif is a theme. And this, this Exodus theme has been repeated a number of times throughout the Scriptures, where someone, someone's in bondage, you have prophets come, they prophesy. In fact, sometimes the prophets are killed. And it's not, it, it's not really good. What happens to the people in the area when a prophet is killed is, is, is not usually good. 
but but prophets come they they get delivered by by through the power of God then they wander and then they get to eventually a land or an experience that God has promised them but I just want to talk for a few seconds what are some of the exoduses that you can think of that, uh, that well even before the exodus uh, from Egypt would have been the Jaredites sure and they were they went as far as the Nephites did from from all accounts um, or at least almost as far sure and then there's the Nephites obviously traveling across the sea but then right after um, right after the Nephites arrive in the promised land the Nephi has to exodus. immediately right. take his people and leave right because he was about to be in bondage with his brothers and he and and, and that's what happens usually with these exoduses the, the the people that are wicked outnumber the people that are righteous and you know they 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 have to get away you know and and you know the Jaredites even had the pillar of fire as well you know and it's a beautiful exodus story and there are other obvious ones noah is is a beautiful exodus story you know it was tragic obviously ending but it's it, it's it's a story of 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 exodus and and prophets warning and and there's even bodies of water there mhm and um Anyway, so uh, there, there, there's a actually one of my favorite ones is the story of Alma the Elder. Remember that story with King Noah? Yeah, yeah. He hears Abinadi prophesy, and he decides to. Well, they just, they threaten to kill him, so then he decides to go off and start preaching from secret. And eventually, they have to run away. Right, and and there's an exodus, and it's a, a perfectly preserved exodus story. It has all the elements with prophets with with. And I don't know if Abed and I ever knew. You know, I've often wondered, did, did Abed and I know he had at least one convert? <laughs> you know, or I've often wondered that. I think he may have known. Um, but Alma the Elmer, Elder, his story starts there. They go through the waters of Mormon. He has his little group. They even pass their little body of water, and they, they head out in the wilderness, go to the land of Helam, eventually get in bondage to the Lamanites again. And the Lord preserves and protects them, and and in a really great story, and goes back. Their their promised land is essentially, you know, Zarahemla, where Heavenly Father establishes His church down with this group of people that have been preserved and protected and had to rely on God. It's a beautiful little Exodus story. I think that our pioneers, obviously, is you know we, you know, poor, you know, I don't know if you're reading Saints, the new narrative history of the church. It's actually wonderful, but absolutely wonderful, but. You know, our our bondage happened in New York, and then you know, then in Kirtland, and then everywhere the saints went, they eventually had to have an exodus. Even you know, they they get the beautiful Kirtland Temple built and dedicated, and, and incredible things happen, and then they're then they're moving somewhere else, and Independence, and eventually Nauvoo, and, we, and we're all familiar with those events. But then they had this exodus across across the plains to eventually come to what we you know these mountains, these beautiful mountains that we're sitting in now. As a, as a safe place away from the wickedness of the world. You know, the, the elders, we sing a great song, O Babylon, O Babylon, you know, we bid thee farewell. Um, this story is about trying to get away from the world. We're going to the mountains, the mountains, the, the mountains are the high holy places, the sacred places. We're going to the mountains of Ephraim to dwell. It's a call for us to leave the world. And that's what the Exodus story is. It's a call for us to leave the world. And um, and it's almost, uh, to me, it, it, it feels like it's almost reversing the fall because Adam and Eve are ejected from the Garden of Eden and they have to, they have to walk into the lone and dreary world and they, the story involves these four rivers flowing out of the Garden of Eden. And so, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like whenever we cross back we're that's what the atonement is is a reversal of the fall in some measure and that's what an exodus is is we're reversing this journey they took away from god's presence you know you're absolutely right and that's one we didn't mention it's probably the most well-known exodus story uh and it's the pattern of all exodus stories is adam and eve right it it is the the story of the fall is the story it it is an exodus motif and it's it's beautifully preserved and very well known and their journey actually takes them back into the presence of God. They left the presence of God, and their whole desire was to go back in the presence of God, which I think is a great segue to, to, to our next 
topic, and that is how the Exodus itself is a type of the plan of salvation. And I, I discovered this uh, in, a, in a fairly unique way, and then when I started studying it more, I found out that other people were, were talking about it. And so I was really excited that I actually found out something that, you, you know what I mean? You ever have those experiences yeah. where you find out something and, and, and I didn't really think it was unique, but I was really, it was really nice to see. That, it was profound to you. Yes, it was profound to me. It was nice to see that other people had said, oh yeah, well, the Exodus is a type of the plan of salvation. But, and you're thinking, no way, guys, look. And they're like, yeah, we know, we yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I, I guess I guess I'm not the only. Well, one we're excited happens. to hear it from you. I'm sure you've well, got plenty of <laughs> original it, it's so insights. Cool because I realized that the number eight was associated with the body of water experience on many of these stories, and the number eight is 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 important because it it represents um, well number eight is regeneration. It's new birth. It's 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 the um, a second, I got a definition for this. Um, well, I mean, seven in in Judaism is right, perfection, right? So it is a number of new beginning. Eight, you know, eight is seven plus perfection, one. Is yeah, it's yeah. perfection plus one. That's right. It, it, it signifies the end of something and the beginning of something new. So it's the beginning of a new era. It's the beginning of a new order. And 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 so I noticed. For, let me give you an example. In 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 First Peter three twenty. You have this great story where where Peter's talking about uh, the Noah story. Mm-hmm. You know, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of the Noah while the ark was up preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So there were eight people, you know, Noah and Mrs. Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their their wives. There were eight people. And why eight? I mean, just, right. I don't know, why eight? And and on this, in this moment when the earth is being baptized. Um in 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 my favorite little Exodus story with Alma the Elder, the after their waters of Mormon experience, it says they went eight days journey before they set up oh. camp in Helam, and it's just like okay, why why eight and why put that detail in there? Of course, the brother of Jared, you know, there are sixteen stones. We all know that story, you know, sixteen stones for eight barges. Why why eight? There it is again. The water experience in an Exodus. The number eight is prominent, and, and, it's, and it's fascinating because it talks about how those barges were completely submerged in, in the water. And, you know, and, and you have, uh, oh, and one more, the Nephites, you know, they, First Nephi 17, 4, I mean, did sojourn for the space of many years, even eight years in the wilderness. They, they, they prepared for their exodus across the water for eight years. And so I thought, okay, that's way, that's way too many coincidences, you know, knowing how, Interesting. how important the number eight is, and it's associated with water. And so I'm wondering if, well, if that can't be baptism, and which makes sense, right? It's water, it's eight, and in all of these cases, there is, uh, there is the death of, a, of, of an old person living in Egypt, and it's the birth of, of, of a new group, a new people. Of people who want to take upon themselves a new name, for example, become identified as something uh, new. I, I, I'm oh Babylon, oh Babylon, I'm, I'm bidding you farewell. And there's this experience where they travel through water, and it's associated with number eight many times. So that led me on a fun journey, on on trying to look and see. Wow, is this is could this be a type? Which I found out later. Many people have talked about this experience as uh, the Exodus um, as a type as a type of the plan of salvation. So if you go back to the beginning, let's begin back where we started with with the Israelites in bondage. When we come to this earth, we get in bondage. We get in bondage to sin. And there's only one way out of that, and that is through the atonement of Jesus Christ. He is the one um, that, you know, through the power of the blood of the Lamb, that you and I are are cleansed from sin and have the power to overcome, you know, sin and death. And so we come into this earth and we get into bondage. And and and, and it's fascinating to think about the, the adversary always teaches this, you know, he calls good evil and evil good. And um he does this with sin. He he convinces people that if you sin brings happiness, but it's just the opposite. And uh, sin brings bondage. If you just think about all the different types of sin out there, and you think of the consequences of, of lying or cheating or adultery or, 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 or those things, and it leads to bondage to either you or someone else. And so 
we come to this world and all of us sin, we get into bondage, and we are delivered by Christ. And um, we actually, you know, we, we, we actually have ordinances that, that say to him and say to our Heavenly Father, you know what, the old man in me, baptism, baptism is beautiful because uh, the New Testament talks about ba- the baptismal font is a little a tomb that we are laid down into this tomb. Uh, it's, it's a grave. I'm killing the old person, the person that was in Egypt. I'm being raised as a new person. It's a tomb and a womb. And so we have this beautiful ceremony called baptism that might be strange to some people as they look at it, but it's symbolic of the death of the old person and the birth of a new one. And I've taken upon myself the name of Christ. It's really important that, I, uh, that I'm serious about that. And it's always, it's always uh, accompanied with a confession of sin and a giving up of sin. Otherwise, it's taking the Lord's name in vain. Vain is empty. And, and so we have this beautiful, this beautiful ordinance called baptism. And after we're baptized, you know, if you think, so, so if you're thinking back of the Exodus, you have this, you know, you have this, we, we come to earth, we get into bondage, and then we are baptized. You know, we come to Christ, and, and we are from, from the call of prophets, and then we are baptized. And then we, if you think of the pillar of fire, we, we receive the holy gift of the Holy Ghost. So what does the Holy Ghost do? Sanctifies. Well, sure. It sanctifies us from sin. And it leads us, like the pillar of fire did, to the fertile parts of our life. You know, it protects us. It's called the comforter. It's like that, that you know. And in fact, if you go to the Salt Lake Temple and look on the east side, there's a beautiful symbols at the top. You can see, you can see symbols of the pillar of fire in the clouds. There's, if you look up the top, you can see clouds, and there's rays of the sun coming through it. And you look at the clouds, and you can see water raining down. And it's, you know, back to this theme of this pillar of fire that they had. And, and so I, I really believe that the Holy Ghost and the pillar of fire have a lot of similarities. And uh, uh, the, in, in, in the scriptures, fire is generally associated with the Holy Ghost and, and its role. His role is to lead us, to light us, to give us guidance, to show us the, the, the right path, the right way, to testify of the Father and testify of the Son and to sanctify us and purge us from sin. So you have this beautiful symbol of the pillar of fire and it's represented today in my life. And that's how I see it is, is the gift of the Holy Ghost. So let me um, ask you a question. In the story of the Exodus, the Israelites... They have the Passover right at the beginning, before they go through their baptism, as it were. So they're freed from sin, they're freed from bondage, and then they keep sinning. So what does that, how, how does that apply to us? Well, <laughs> I think that's, and that's a great question. And, and I think, as you look at manna, manna fell every day, right? Well, it fell six days of the week, because uh-huh. it, didn't, it didn't fall on their Sabbath, which was Saturday. And, and, and in a minute, we're going to be talking about the Old Testament tabernacle and the table of shoe bread. And we'll just part the curtain a little bit there. The table of shoe bread, where, where those 12 cakes of unleavened bread were sitting, symbolic of the sacrament. So I believe that what Heavenly Father does is He gives us access back to the atonement of Jesus Christ through the ordinance of the sacrament once a week, you know. And, and it, so it's almost like this, this Passover that they had where they... Uh, observed all these meticulous procedures in order to have the blood of the lamb save them. Right. Is repeated when they ate the manna. They were well, they were dependent on God every day, and therefore their salvation continued. Is that what you see? Well, in I, th- I think you can look at it that way, but they also had, and we'll talk about this in a moment, they also had the ordinance of the altar sacrifice. Oh, right. Okay. Which was a way for them to come and 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 you know, show a sign to God that they're trying to give up their sins and, and say goodbye to Egypt. So they had ordinances. But I love the symbol of manna, you know, and I, and I love the symbol of the sh- table of shoe bread in, in the ark uh, or in the temple. And I'm really excited to hear your your views on the tabernacle because um, that's one of the things we miss in our Sunday school curriculum. So we talked about in this podcast, we talked about whatever was covered in the curriculum, which included the Exodus, but we we had to skip the whole second half of the book of Exodus just because it wasn't covered. So we, we lightly brushed over it. So I'm, well, that's good. I'm we looking can, forward to We're going to cover that in, in just a minute. But I, we, we, the, the point is, Heavenly Father knows that we're going to mistake after our Passover moments, after our, after our commitment to Him, that, we're gonna, that we are going to take upon uh, us the name of His Son and baptize. And so He gives us uh, access to the saving power of the atonement and ordinances 
I love the sacrament. And we'll talk more about the sacrament in just a moment. It's a beautiful, beautiful ordinance. And I think if if we understand the Old Testament and, and the altar of sacrifice, it will greatly enhance our experience at the sacrament table. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah. But anyway, you have this back to this plan of salvation thought. You know, we come here, we get in bondage, we're saved by Christ, we make covenants, we, we have baptism, we receive the Holy Ghost, we have access to the atonement through the ordinance of the sacrament. Uh, and and um, our goal, my goal right now is to be sanctified. You know, I'm trying to get back in my promise. You know, what is my promised land? Well, my promised land is to be back in the, like Adam and Eve, right? My promised land is to be back in the presence of my Heavenly Father and His Son. It's back in the presence of God and um, and Heavenly Mother. I mean, I, I, I it's back in, into that family. So the whole journey of the people of Israel is a type of your personal journey throughout yes. your throughout the plan of salvation. And it's a type, and we find that in the story of Adam and Eve as well. In Adam and Eve, and the story of the Jaredites, and the Nephites, and Alma the Elder, and, and the saints. Yes, this much of the action in Scripture is, is the people are at some point in an Exodus story. And that's why it's a theme. And it, every time I read one of these stories, once again, it teaches me that that I need, you know, that I'm in, I'm in bondage to sin. And I, need, and I need to listen to the prophets, and I need to make covenants. With, and that He will sustain me. I mean, one of the great themes of the Book of Mormon, you know, is that God will sustain you in your trials if you have your faith in Him. And Nephi quoted the Exodus to his brothers all the time. You know, the moment they began to mistake, make mistakes, he would quote to them the Exodus story. And, and he would remind them that God, God, you know, Heavenly Father, helped our, you know, our ancestors. And he would repeat the Exodus story to them to help them remember. And so I think these stories help us remember God because... And then that's my goal. I want to be back into his presence. And that's, I long for that day. I wait for that day. I'm not afraid of that day. Um, I, I get to issue. Yeah, in fact, it's for, another thing that it teaches us is it's for an imperfect people. Right. That That's the whole point of it. If they'd been perfect, they would have gone straight into the promised land. Right. But they had the exodus precisely because they weren't ready for the promised land. And so they had Moses and they had the, pillar of fire and they had these ordinances all along and they had manna precisely because they weren't ready sure and and it doesn't mean they were perfect when they went to the promised land obviously when they get in there and jericho falls they have problems immediately <laughs> right and, and that's okay and that's us and, and in fact i hope i can say this i i have in my church calling right now i issue a lot of temple recommends and um the last question is is hard for people you know it's it's about do you consider yourself worthy to go to the house of the Lord. Then they have to basically take everything that's not asked and say, are you ready to go in yeah. by your own judgment? And yeah. you got to say and, yes and or no. A lot of people, you know, just look down their shoes and they get emotional and they say, well, I don't... And, 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 and it's really, it's really, a, it's tough, but it's really a fun teaching moment for me. And, and I just say, you know, I know how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. I have to answer the same question, but can I tell you how I answer it? And I say, I, I generally, I usually say, yes, I consider myself worthy only because of question two. And then they think back, okay, question two is, do you have faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ? And, and so the only way I am worthy, I'm not perfect, but the only way I am worthy, if, we, if you answer all those other questions, all those great questions affirmatively and with a, a, a sincere heart, and you're doing the best you can, you're worthy because of him. And I think we, you know, sometimes forget that, that we're not going to be perfect when we leave this life, but we can be worthy. I, I, I love, in fact, if I can take it a little aside for a minute, the, the, the Book of Mormon is, so, is full of so many things, quite frankly, that Joseph Smith could have never known about ancient culture. One of these is in, in Nephi's psalm, and he's... he's um, He's longing to be wrapped in the robes of, of God's righteousness, right? He wants this robe wrapped around him. And in, in anciently, um, I was reading a really great article. Anciently, if, if you were running from your, from your enemies, you know, and your, your enemies, and you come across a sheik in a, in a little settlement, uh, and you went up and you pled for asylum and protection from him, the symbol... That, that, that would grant you asylum is he would take his robe and place it on your shoulder. You would generally be kneeling. You know, he would place this robe on your shoulder, and that means 
I'm granting you asylum. I'm going to protect you from your enemies. And if they attack you, they're attacking me. That's right. You're a part of my family. I see. Well, Nephi saw him. He's like, I want to be wrapped in the robes. And the whole psalm is about getting protection from his enemies. And there's such a beautiful tie to this ancient custom. And, but that's the way it is. When, I, when we stand before the Father, in, I think, oh, it's section 45 or 90, remember that, you know, the Savior, I think it's section 45, it starts this, this beautiful section of the Doctrine and Covenants about remember the sufferings of death of him who did no sin. You know that? Remember that? that the ad, listen to the one who's your advocate, advocate with, with the, the Father, Father. Who, who is pleading your cause before yeah. him. Yeah, section 45. You know, saying, Father, behold the sufferings and death of him who did no sin. He's pointing to himself. And then he says, Wherefore, spare these, my brethren. Because Why? Well, because they believe on me. And so that is the role of our wonderful, beautiful Savior, is to plead our cause before our Father. And when his robe of righteousness is wrapped around us, justice only sees purity. And not to say, look at all the work they've done on this. Look right. at how righteous they are now. Look at how much they've repented. Right. None of it. No. He doesn't say, Father, behold them. He says, behold, behold. the sufferings and death yes. of of the one of thine only begotten. And that's the only argument he needs. Yeah. We are at that moment, in that beautiful imagery of Nephi's psalm, clothed in the atonement. I mean, we're wrapped in the atonement. And one of the meanings of the word atonement is to cover. Well, I want my sins covered. <laughs> and that's why I love the Savior so much and what he did for me. And and, and so Nephi's psalm is so is so beautiful with that imagery of being wrapped in those robes. Anyway, so that's the plan of salvation. And it's tied, once again, tied to the Exodus story. Now, when I share this with individuals um, that are friends of mine in, in moments and in teaching moments, I, I'm showing this visually, and I've got these elements of the plan of salvation, you know, very simply on on a sheet. And I, the next keystroke of my computer, it overlays to this story the uh, the, the, the the blueprint or the floor plan of the of the of the of the of the, of the ark. I'm sorry, excuse me, of the tabernacle and of the Old Testament tabernacle and the Old Testament temple because. Um, and this is a really fun thing. And, and I should say, as a side note, our listeners haven't been able to depend very much on my website because uh, I threw something up, and it was it it was basically just to reserve my spot that I had gospeldoctrine.com, and I didn't do any other work on it. But uh, we will have a page for this this episode tonight, and that'll be visible from the front page uh, within within a couple of days, and we'll uh, be able they'll be able to see this this graphic that you're talking about it's very simple you just you, you just you look at the the blueprint of the old testament tabernacle and you have these elements of bondage and deliverance and light and and you know and manna and uh uh being sanctified and promised land and it and 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 understanding the exodus and understanding the plan of salvation helps me understand the ancient temple and it helps me understand the modern temple so what i want to do for your listeners is just i want to walk through the tabernacle for just a moment and i want to talk about each of the pieces that are there and we'll tie them back to the exodus as well as the plan of salvation and this is kind of fun because it's, it's just incredible as you look at the tabernacle there's first of all this outer courtyard and then the outer courtyard was lit by the sun it was it was it was outside essentially well for, first let me ask a question so what is the tabernacle? Well, the tabernacle was the um, portable temple because they're wandering, right? Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father commanded them to create this place of worship. And uh, it was teaching them, once again, about about what they were going through, about the plan of salvation. It provided a way for them to receive ordinances. And this is the first time it's shown up. Before before Moses received it, well, we didn't a, yeah, see it. It's the first time that we know of. You know, okay. I'm not sure... Uh, yeah, we haven't seen it in the scriptures. Or first time it shows up in the scriptures, at that's least. That's the first time in the Old, in the Old Testament. And and, and uh, whether or not there were temples before that, I, I'm not I'm not sure in the book of Genesis. Before that, it was mountains. <laughs> right, high holy places. Yeah. It's the mountains of Ephraim, right? Now, there may have been temples. I don't know, but I would imagine there were. Um, we, we certainly know that Adam... Uh, well, anyway, 
But we don't have a description of those. And, and what is the description like of the tabernacle? Well, the description's fairly lengthy. And Heavenly Father gave a lot of... Uh, uh, and I can't remember all the dimensions. But there's essentially... There's the outer... The, but it's, the, it's very detailed, I guess, yeah, is my very, point. Yeah, very detailed. Absolutely. And, and, for, and, and, and every detail has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Let me give you one example. And I, we don't have time tonight to go through all of these. But let me give you one example. Metal is used, precious metal. And maybe not so precious metal is used in the construction of the temple. We know that the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with gold, you know, and, and built on a, a type of wood that didn't decay. And, and gold's very precious. And that room was very precious. And, but the outer courtyard, there's a lot of iron used in, in the curtains and the drapes. And iron was kind of, you know, wasn't as refined. It was heavy. It was coarse. And one of the main uses of iron was to hold slaves. You know, wow, it, interesting. Yeah, and and once again, symbolically, and I don't know, if, you know, what I learned from that. Once again, this is the outer courtyard. This is where sin is, and we are in bondage. We are in bondage to, to 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 sin, and this is the place where sin was. Okay, so I apologize for interrupting. No, no, take that's us fine. through. Take no, us through fine. your tour. That's fine. So you have this outer courtyard lit by the sun, and uh, and it, when you would come into the to this court. The first thing that meets you is this altar of sacrifice, and um, the altar of sacrifice was fascinating. And to 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 a non-Christian or, or or to someone that may not be familiar with this, once again, this probably looked very strange. And but when you understand the symbolism behind it, it's very profound. And <clears throat> there were a lot of different types of sacrifices. Let me just talk about uh, an animal sacrifice with the lamb. What what you would do if you had if you had sinned against God or your neighbor or trespassed essentially you would bring a lamb to the priest and who was there and and a lot a lot of people don't know this it's really interesting you would place your lamb your hands on the lamb's head and you would transfer your identity to the lamb and that was accompanied by a confession of sin now as you think about that that starts to okay why why on earth are you doing that well. First of all, you're coming there to get rid of sin, right? We're saying goodbye to the world. So you're, you're, you're coming to the Lamb who is eventually going to save you, and you're confessing your sins and placing your identity on the Lamb. You're becoming one with the Lamb. But that confession of, of sin is very important because without that confession of sin, this is an empty promise. It's just You're just going through the, the motions. And the confession of sin was supposed to be com, uh, combined with a commitment that you're not going to do those anymore. And so you would place your identity and your sins on the lamb. Of course, the, the, the lamb was then slain and um, placed on the altar. And uh, it was divided. And there's lots of things that would happen. We don't get into it. But the things that are important, by the way, the lamb was generally eaten. It wasn't necessarily wasted. The, the priest would actually stick a, a special fork into the meat, pull some out, and that's how he would feed his family. And, uh, and, and, and many times the offer and the offer's family would eat the lamb. Uh, you know the the the, the meat and, and parts of it, but um, but the the priest would do something fascinating. He would take some of the blood from the lamb, uh, with his right thumb, and he the the altar had four corners, and there were, there there were there were horns, oxen horns on each corner of the altar, and he would spread blood on the uh, of the sacrifice on the horns. And and that, that that just sounds a little strange, okay? But when you understand, and, and, and of course there would be fire in, in, in there. But when you understand the symbolism behind it, it's, it's pretty neat. First of all, horns were a symbol of power. If you think about an oxen, you know, or an, an ox, it, they can throw someone like me, you know, 165 pounds around like a ragdoll. I mean, they 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 can put all of their strength into their into their horns, and so they became a symbol of power. And, and of work as well. And, um, you know, when an army would come in, an invading army, they'd be blowing their horns. You know, their, their, their horns were coming to you in power. Uh, ancient kings were anointed to be kings with oil that was, uh, olive oil that was contained in, in the horn, you know, in a horn. They're, they're a symbol of power. And so you understand that. And we've already talked about blood. Blood is a symbol of both life and death, uh, among, among other things. Um, and... Um, and, and, and so when you think about this, you put all these symbols together, the act of that priest doing that, it's the power of the blood of the lamb to cover my sin. Isn't that, isn't that, I mean, and that's, that's, that's so 
cool to me. It's no that and it's lost. I mean, nobody thinks lost. about this. They read the book of Exodus and it's they think, lost. and Exodus gives a ton of detail as this is a wave offering, this is a sin offering, right. this is a, and nobody reads into that and sees anymore because we don't live it. We rarely see that symbolism. Well, they think it's strange, and I can see why they would think it's strange. Even there's something even a lot more strange we don't get into tonight, and that's the cleansing of a leper. That might be a fun podcast for you to do. Just the cleansing of a leper alone. <laughs> I, I will look into it that. Is, it, oh, the cleansing of a leper is very strange, but when you understand all the symbolisms behind it, it's once again the same thing of becoming a new creature, and 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 symbol leprosy was a symbol of sin. And anyway, it, it's it's really cool when you understand the symbolism behind it. It becomes neat because getting rid of sin is very important to Heavenly Father. Saying goodbye to Babylon, saying saying goodbye to my hate, my anger. My hate for other people, a problem I have in my family. Saying so it wasn't just a, about the outside; it was also about what's going on in your Absolutely. heart. Absolutely, this was this was a personal thing. I'm trying to become more like God. I want to get back into His presence. The trajectory of the ta- of the tabernacle goes first to this place where I'm going to give up sin, and then my sin is going to be purged. The Holy Ghost is there, and symbolic what, of the fire. What's next after the altar? Well, we go to the laver, and the laver was this this. It was called the Brazen Sea with the, with the, with the uh, later with the temple. Later it had uh, 12 oxen, uh, th- um, three pointed north, three pointed south, three east, three west. One of the things that teaches me once again, like the four corners of the altar, is that God's power is over the four corners of the earth or, you know, north, south, east, and west. And uh, the oxen was a great symbol of strength and power as well. It's also the symbol of Ephraim, by the way. We don't need to go into that, but it's 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 beautiful. And this wash basin was essentially to for washing. Um, eventually, Moses and uh, brings Aaron and his sons, and they receive washing and anointings. Washing and anointings is something we can talk about uh, generically like this. It's in the Old Testament. Um, some people, when they hear, oh no, you can't say <laughs> you know washing and anointings. Well, it's right there. They were washed, and 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 why would you be washed? Well, you've just left Egypt. You know, it's symbolic, uh, the same thing as baptism. You're being cleansed and ceremoniously washed and pronounced clean from from Babylon, from Egypt, from, from the world. And anointed there, anointed to become great, you know, great things. And so at that point in the tabernacle, the priests who were about to enter into the holy place, uh, symbolic of, and in this outer courtyard, by the way, was symbolic of the world we live in, the Teodosha kingdom. And they're about to go into a, 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 a holy, the holy place, and so they were they were pronounced clean. And that's inside the walls. So so far, we're yeah. still outside the walls of yeah, the tabernacle. Yeah, we're outside the walls of the tabernacle, in this outer courtyard. And you had the, the altar sacrifice in the laver, and then you go in after this point. And so they're ceremoniously washed, pronounced clean. They go in, and just for the and they're sake dressed of, in their yeah, ephods, right? They're, yeah, they're dressed in their clothes, which you know. Um, and there's a robe again, like you yeah. said. There's a there's a hat that they wear. Sure. And um, Aaron's robe had twelve stones in it for the representing yeah, the twelve bl- tribes. Yeah. And it's so funny. We get Latter Day Saints sometimes get made fun of with our our temples and temple clothing by Christians. And I, I'm just wondering sometimes, well, do you really know the Bible? Because uh, because the temple they had temple robes and temple clothing. They had the ephod and. This, te- this breastplate that Aaron and high priests had had 12 stones, symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, the name of each of the tribe of Israel was written on the back side of those stones. And they had onyx stones on their shoulders, and the name of six tribes was on one and six tribes of the other. There's lots of symbolism there. He's a type of Christ. Christ. God carries us near his heart. God carries us on his shoulders. The trajectory, we're taking Israel back into the presence of God. And he's carrying us as if it were on his shoulders and near his heart. And um, and so his temple clothes are beautifully symbolic. We don't have time to get into all of it, but it's beautifully symbolic. He's got bells on the bottom of his robes and symbolic of him sounding forth the word of God. And he's got pomegranates on the bottom. And, and pomegranates, you know, they're, they're back to a symbol of, of, of blood and the atonement and and uh, it was pomegranate juice was very valuable. It was very good. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it's like it's, this is heaven. You see, anyway, but but his clothing was was beautiful. But it's fascinating to me that people make fun of us for our clothing when the Bible that we believe in that they believe in generally 
um, they were dressed. Is the foundation absolutely, of. It, and, and 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 it was there. So just quickly, we had the menorah. The it's the set once. Now again, we're inside the temple. We're, we're in the holy in, place, yeah, which the is holy the first place. room. Yeah, the first room. I believe on the left there was this beautiful lampstand called the menorah. Um, tradition has it that I mean there was olive oil in these candles. These candles never went out. They tried to keep them lit all the time. The constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it, that's what gave this room its light. And there's lots of symbols there. I go back to the pillar of fire. I go back to the, the role of the Holy Ghost in life and leading us and guiding us and protecting us and, and lighting our way. On the right side, you had the table of shoe bread. There were 12 loaves of unleavened bread there and a bottle of wine. The priests would consume these loaves. All of the symbolisms of the bread of life, Christ is the bread of life, manna, um, taking him into our life. It's unleavened. I just want to point out really quick, leaven is a symbol of sin. Christ said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, remember? Mm-hmm. Leaven is a symbol of sin. You throw it in grape juice, it ferments, it makes it rotten, you know, and turns it into alcohol or mm-hmm. whatever. And, 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 um, but, but the reason why it's unleavened bread in here, this is, sin's not in here. Sin's outside. Okay. And we've given it up. And and it's symbolic also that we're does trying it, to become... Does it have to do with the unleavened bread they ate in the Passover, or is that not related? No, I believe it is related. Absolutely. It's, once again, we're trying to get sin out of our life. Okay. And and we throw yeast into bread to make it rise and, and, and things like that. But this, so this is really, a, it's a flat bread. And it's symbolic, once again, that we want to, to say goodbye. Everything about this is about getting rid of sin and saying goodbye to Babylon. But then I think my favorite little place is my favorite uh, um, structure in this in the holy place, and probably all the temple. I don't know why. Was this little altar for prayer? It's called the altar of incense. It sat it sat right before the veil of the temple. So we're in the holy place, and is your trajectory is taking you back into this holy of holies, the most sacred you know room, it's symbolic of the presence of God. So now we're in something that symbolizes the terrestrial kingdom. Yeah, the terrestrial which kingdom. Which is a world better than right. where we live now. That's right. It's a, it's a higher, a holier place. Okay. And by the way, in LDS manuals, just if anyone's nervous about that, it, in LDS manuals, it teaches that this place is symbolic of the terrestrial world. Um, but this altar sat right before the veil of the temple, and it was an altar for prayer, and it had fire there, and it was an altar of incense, and the priests would put their their incense on it, Incense smell very good, and they make a lot of smoke. And the smoke would go up through a little a little chimney outside. And, um, and that's how they knew they had a new pope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't well, resist. No, that's great, and okay. that's probably where that came from. <laughs> uh, but but the, the symbolism here is absolutely beautiful. And if you go read Hugh Nibley's work, I believe in the Temple and the Cosmos, he talks about how and if you look on the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament pictures, the, the Israel would be surrounding, you know, outside in the, in the outer courtyard. They, they, they'd essentially be around watching uh, for that smoke to go up. And when they would do, Hugh, Hugh Nibley talks about how they would raise their arms to heaven, you know, up, symbolic of their prayers going from earth up to heaven. So this priest represented the people sure. going, so what, like you said, he's carrying Israel on his shoulders. Sure. So him going through this temple, for us to each go through the temple is an amazing privilege when you look at this history Absolutely. and see that only one person could really get this far. Right. And, and everyone else proxy. had to depend on him right. as the proxy, right? We, we are allowed to go through this experience you know, each of us, and it's a Melchizedek priesthood temple. It's a little bit different as well. This yeah. is a Moronic priesthood temple, and each of us gets to uh, are allowed to go back and have this experience and be into this room symbolic of the presence of God. Yeah, but I love that. I love that that altar for prayer. And many people have, who have been obviously people that that are endowed know about this. And people that are not members can go to one of our, one of our temple or uh, open houses, and they can see this room in, in our temple, mm-hmm. and they can uh, the, the, the symbolic of the same place, and they can see that little, the, the the altar that sits before the veiled temple, and 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 uh, and so that's it's in our magazines, and you can read about it there about this beautiful thing. But it's so fascinating. So the the New Testament starts out with an incredible story of John the Baptist's dad, right? Zacharias. Mm-hmm. Where is he at? Well, he's standing at that altar of incense, and he's putting incense on it, and his smoke is going up, and he's praying. And the the, the veil, I don't know if the veil of the temple, the real veil opens, and here's an angel. 
you know, and and uh, he talks to him and says he's going to have a son, and, and, and you know, it's a really fun story. He doesn't really believe him, and, and he's struck dumb, of course, and he comes out, and, and, and people wonder. They realize he's probably had a really cool experience, but I think it's fascinating that, that the New Testament starts out with a man dressed in temple robes, in a temple, sitting, standing at, the, at, a, at an altar that was created for prayer right before the veil of the temple. And it, it just, you know, Heavenly Father's people have been temple goers and temple worshipers. Christ was a temple goer. He went there at 40 days after birth, as we mentioned. He went there at the age of 12 when he became a son of the law. He was there at the beginning of his ministry, all throughout his ministry. And he would have gone probably three times a year. Absolutely, with the Jewish customs yeah. and you know, you know, it's in this setting of, in the fall, they have their, they have their beautiful festivals, and the festival of trumpets, and they have the, uh, they have this, this incredible experience where they recreate the, the little tabernacles, and they recreate their little exodus festival, you know, the, 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 with, the, with the tabernacles, but they would light these very tall colanders, symbolic of the pillar of fire, and, you know, in that setting, as they're looking at those beautiful pillars of fire that were lit, the Savior looked at them and said, I, you know, I am the light of the world. I see. And, you know, city, uh, city on a hill camp, camp, you know, I am the light of the world. Um, and he was the light of the world and is the light of the world. But he was a temple goer. And I just have always found that um, very fascinating. So, finally, you have this veil of the temple, two beautiful angels painted on it, guarding the way of this beautiful room, and you have the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place, uh, symbolic of the presence of God with the Ark of the Covenant, and I think a lot of people know about the Ark and, and what it was made of, and it was, symbol- it was, it was the, 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 the wings of the angels formed a seat called the Mercy Seat, and, and it, but it was symbolic of the presence of God, and so here's Israel finally going back into the presence of, and this of veil of the temple was made such that you couldn't ever see through it. It yes. wasn't meant to open. Right. You had to go in one side. There was actually two veils, and they were overlapping. Right. And you had to tra- traverse in between, so that the separation was very distinct between this, even the holy place and the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is a small room at right. the very front or the very back, depending on how you look at it. Right. And so. That's the that's the tabernacle. I know we've only covered it in a very superficial way, but what's so beautiful about this is when you think about modern day temple worship, it is it is, you know, the more we learn about this, the more, and I hope as your listeners who have gone through the temple have been putting together a lot of pieces tonight. But when we go through our temples, we have this this experience where we leave the world, where we where we go. And we we make covenants with God, and, and of course the washings and anointings, and we we get uh, the, the New Testament talks about a new name, you know, and and uh, it, it's not anything real magical. It's very sacred. But you think you, I need a new name. I have a new identity. My old person's gone. He's he's back in Egypt, and I, I you know I don't want to talk about our temple worship too much on this. But if you think about the elements that we've talked about tonight, it's a beautiful way for you to understand the house of, of God. And I just want to end with, with one last symbol. And I want to go well, back. Well, if okay. you have a final thing, before you do that, maybe um, if there's some auditory way, you could explain this overlay that you do between the well the bondage, yeah. the, the exodus and the, and the tabernacle. Maybe you can correlate no, some of those really things good. for us. So when I, when I as, I, as I've learned this and as I share it, it's very simple. I just... The overlay, it's really simple. You have the word bondage at the bottom, and you have deliverance through Christ. And then you've got, uh, you know, you've got the light on, on the left, and you've got this manna on the right, and you've, and you've got wandering through sanctification towards the top, and then promised land. And then eventually um, we overlay. So that's the, plan, that's the exodus. And then the plan of salvation, we add those elements to it. Then we overlay the temple on top of that. And, and you can all, see that that yeah. just matches right up. Yeah, all every everything fits, and and that and once again that's symbolic. Those are symbols, and it fits for me, I, and, and I hope it fits for other people and your listeners because the tabernacle was was this. It's the plan of salvation. It's, mm-hmm. it's a recreation of Adam and Eve's journey. You know, 
Uh, and they weren't Charlie illiterate people, about. right? They had to learn by sure, repetition yeah. and seeing ritual and right. visual learning, like you thought, like you said. And the same was true for Joseph Smith. I mean, he had something very complicated to teach his uh, followers, and some of them were literate, and many right. of them were literate, but it was more complicated than just being able to write it down. He had to teach them through ritual and repetition and, and through symbolism sure, and symbolism. through visuals. The same thing was true. And I love symbols. And they, they continue to teach. And, and the moment you say, well, this symbolized this, period, I think you begin to—you stop learning. Mm-hmm. And, and as I've thought about the temple, I, I, I learn—you know, the more I learn about temples, the more I learn about me and the plan of salvation and, and the Savior. And, and so, which brings me back to this last point. I, I've often wondered why it was that Moses did not lead the children of Israel back into the promised land. And I've, he, I've wondered by, about that myself, and well, I have no idea what you're about to say. Well, um, Joshua, his name is Yeshua. The same name Jesus had. That's it's the ex- Old Testament version of Jesus. That's exactly name. right. Uh, the Savior was 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 Joshua was you know that's the Savior's name. I see. And so, and so it's the Savior, is the one that the, the 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 everything we've been talking about tonight leads us and points us to Christ, and He is the one that takes us into our promised land. As we were talking about earlier, it's through Him that we are saved. And it's through no other name, no other person, not Moses, not a prophet, no one. It is in and through Jesus Christ. It's through his merits that we are saved. And he is the one that makes us possible to come back into the promised land. So I personally believe that Joshua got this job because that was the, that's the name of the Savior. And I think, and and it was his name originally was Oshea. And it was after he came back from his scouting expedition that he was renamed Jehoshua. Yeah. Fascinating, right? Yes. A new name. He got a new name. Yes. Which new names are all throughout the scriptures, Paul and Peter. Yeah. And and it's usually when they've gone through this experience, Abram and Abraham, it's gone these experiences where they become a new person. But I mean, I'm here, I'm thinking now as you're saying this, how every aspect of the temple, you start out at the altar, you go through the labor, you you're wearing these clothes as you go into the holy place. You see the candlestick. You see the shoe bread and the bottle of wine, the incense, the veil, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the cherubim. Every aspect of it has Christ woven through it and penetrating it symbolically from top to bottom. Absolutely. It, it's just, it's it's Christ from top to bottom. That's it, the temple. It that's is. the tabernacle, and that's the plan of salvation. That's the exodus. That's everything. I, that was perfect. That's perfect. what I hear. That's no, what I'm that's, hearing from no, you. That, that is absolutely right. And and all things point to him. And certainly, every time I study about the tabernacle, and every time I study about or go to the temple, I am pointed to him. He wants us back in the presence of his Father. And I I just want to leave that with you. That that's my testimony. And uh, I hope it's appropriate for. I hope it's appropriate for me to. Um, share your listeners with my my witness that he lives and uh, he has saved me and I every day um, I need his sustaining help just like that manna every single day I need to partake of him and his goodness so I can be a good person on this earth and I'm so grateful for him and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ Amen. Amen thank you so much Mike Madsen for being with us This has been Gospel Doctrine, a nonprofit podcast hosted and produced by Mark Holt with bumper music by Kendra Lowe. Gospel Doctrine is not affiliated with nor endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.